Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. Today, we have Sean Morrison, past president of the Ontario Real Estate Board. Did I get that right? Uh, Ontario Real Estate Association. Uh, great to be here with you, Omar. Yeah, they're massive rivals. Uh, we'll go into that later. Just <laughs> So welcome to the program. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting time when I'm looking at real estate prices. They're still like uh, insanely high, but the market slowed down. So how do you kind of uh, connect the two dots? Pricing still remaining high, but the market is slowing down. Well, I think that's the uh, that's the million dollar question, right? Is uh, how do we, you know, have clients that um, still want to buy uh, see the value in the purchase and not, uh, you know, not to see what most buyers see, which is, you know, they're thinking that the uh, the market itself is going to crash, uh, so they're waiting for that. But at the same point, uh, getting sellers on the same page to to understand that they're not going to get the prices that they were going to get in January or February of this year. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that is best to do is, is always bring data. So this is what I tell yeah. as well, you know, make sure that you, you go there with data, show, you know, the, the year over year, and then show the last, you know, 30 or 60 days, what's selling, talk to them. You know, it's hard, it's hard to argue with empirical data. You know, when we're looking at one in three homes, uh, selling in our region, you know, you want to be that one, you know, you don't want to be the other two. So you know, going down and being real right. in your price from the beginning as a seller and as a buyer managing that expectation, I think are, are key and important in this market. I think what's kind of interesting in this one more thing that's actually more important than data, because I think data absolutely has to be there. The thing that's more important is in terms of actually influencing people are stories. And I think stories of another time when the market was in flux like this really helped cement it because people really, ever since we came out of the caves, stories have been how we learned before, you know, the written word. And I think data backed up with stories is a really, really potent one-two punch. Thoughts? I completely agree with you. Uh, when it comes down to it, I mean, real estate is a conversation. That That's what it is in the beginning. You're never going to talk somebody into doing something that they don't want to do. You're never right. going to, you know, change somebody's mind if it's if it's a strong empirical value with them. So I think uh, relating back, showing a time when this happened before, how we got through it and how we were the house that was successful or how we were the buyer that was successful, um, you know, certainly is, is important. Absolutely. I remember like a million years ago when there was a market crash in, uh, would have been in the nineties, mm -hmm. like with the stock market kind of crashed. And of course, stockbrokers were saying, don't panic. If you panic and you sell off now, you're going to take a massive loss. If you just hold on to Bell Canada and whoever you had, it's going to come up. And I think that's the kind of situation we're in now. It seems like there's several forces. One is the I was talking to a realtor uh, on the west coast of Canada, and he was saying that, you know, immigration is going to open up fairly significantly. And as new people come into the country, they're going to be buying homes. So home pricing is not going to crash at all. In fact, he was predicting it's going to go up dramatically, which uh, in some ways is a good thing. And in other ways, it's not such a good thing. 
No, and, and as we uh, did studies through the Ontario Real Estate Association, we looked at, at that as a trend. Here in Ontario, we, we are still very much in a supply shortage. Um, when we look at it, I mean, the last you know six to eight months has equaled out after the pandemic. We had a rush of, of sellers come back to the market who maybe didn't want people coming through their house during the pandemic. But overall, if you look at the trends, we are building way less new housing than we have people immigrating into Ontario. And when you have a supply and demand imbalance, price is always going to go up. So, you know, it's not going to get any more affordable in the, in the years to come unless you know, we see some massive shift in, uh, in the government's position on building homes in, in the province. So you're a broker and how many agents are in the brokerage that you're a part of? Uh, I think currently we're at 78 uh, agents in our brokerage currently. So one of the things that's kind of interesting is uh, a leader's job is to lend your confidence to people that need it most and some of the agents. So tell me about some of the agents that are really looking to you to have the keel in the boat and make sure it's okay, that they can leverage your confidence and not freak out. So don't name names, but uh, tell me about one of those conversations where you settled somebody down. Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. And I mean, a lot of agents have gotten in in the last five years. And at that point, the market was flying. It was red hot. It was, you know, a 12 hour sales cycle on a house. And all of a sudden, everything came to a screeching halt in March of this year. And, you know, you had people coming in the office going, well, my house has been listed for two weeks and it hasn't sold. What do I do? And, uh, you know, you, you kind of <laughs> lean on your... <laughs> exactly. You know, welcome back to real estate. But, um, you know, the, these market cycles happen. We have ups and we have downs. Uh, when I first got in uh, to the business uh, back in 2005, we were in a, the midst of a small recession here in Ontario at that time as well. So I kind of, I cut my teeth in a down market. So, you know, it, the key is just returning to basics. And this is what I, I try and teach my, my agents all the time. I said, even, even someone in the NBA or, you know, in uh, the NFL, they're always practicing those fundamentals, those basics, right? Having those conversations, reaching out to people, creative marketing ideas, uh, creative uh, purchasing ideas. Um, I had one agent that, you know, was having a difficult time getting their seller or sort of their buyer to, uh, to secure a property. So I said to them, I said, well, what's going on? And they said, well, we keep getting beat out by another offer, right? This is going back, you know, back into January, February right. before it was a down market. And I said, well, what are you doing after, after you get beat out with that offer? You know, if it has conditions, what are you doing? And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't you register a backup offer on the property? That way, if that one falls apart on financing or something, you're first in line. It doesn't go back to market, right? They didn't even know that was possible. You know, as a seller, you can do the same thing. Well, I've got this conditional offer in this market, but we know some sometimes financing doesn't go through or there might be an inspection issue. Why don't you call the other agents and say, why don't you register a backup offer on this property if, you're, if your client's interested, right? It's, it's sometimes thinking outside of the box that, that will right. you know, bring you that sale long term. But in, in any case, you have to get back to those fundamentals. You have to have those face-to-face -face conversations that we haven't been having in the last two years because of the pandemic. You have to get face to face with your clients. You've got to do check ins with them. You know, I'm sure lots of agents in their portfolio, if they've been in five or six years, have uh, you know clients in their portfolio that you know maybe you're coming up on a mortgage renewal or something. That's a great opportunity to reach out, let them know what their property's worth, and maybe they want to move up, or maybe they want to you know do an equity buy and and uh, do an investment investment purchase for a rental property or something. The key is just having those conversations and putting yourself in front of people. The more you do that, it's just like, you know, offers, right? The more offers you have on a property, the better chance you have of getting the right offer, right? Absolutely. In, in this market, the more conversations you have, the better.
So what you're talking about is, is two things here. Number one, uh, certainly back to the basics and certainly every professional sports team that's ever gotten in trouble is because they lose sight of the basics. And the new manager that comes in always says, okay, we're going back to the basics because yeah, doing that critical. Two, you're really talking about strategy. Like it's not just a, you'll buy a house. Oh, you don't buy a house, so it's over. No, if you've got a strategy in place that you've got contingencies, that makes uh, all the difference in the world. Oh, 100%. And, you know, every agent, no matter whether you're brand new or you're, you're 40 years in the business, you've got a sphere of influence around you. You have a bunch of people that know you, like you, and trust you, right? Those are the people you need to be reaching out to first. That's your, your data set. That's your core business, right? And, you know, if you've got a database of 100 people, you got one or two transactions in there for sure. You just have to go and dig and find them. That could be somebody who has liquidable cash in this market and wants to purchase an investment property or a flip. It could be, you know, the son or daughter of, of somebody that you've, you've transacted with in the past or a friend or family member that's looking for their first house and needs someone to help guide them into that, uh, you know, into that position. You know, it's in this market, it's, it's who works hardest wins. You know, you've got to dig in, you've got to, uh, you've got to get back to the basics and you've got to do it every day. And I think that's kind of the key because uh, a lot of people getting, get into the industry where it's like, hey, I want the flexibility and I want to do this and I want to do that. And uh, at the end of the day, this is a job and people that work hard and are strategic win and people that are just uh, trying to make this a hobby when it's supposed to be a full-time job, that is just uh, a path that's paved with tears. Should have been a poet. Uh, I know it. <laughs> exactly. You used to have support as well. I mean, you need your brokerage support, especially if you're an agent that's, you know, been in the business, you know, five or six years kind of thing. Um, you know, you you only know an up market. You've never seen this down market. So that's where you've got to lean on your, your broker, lean on your mentor who maybe has been through one or two cycles of this before and, and says, okay, you know, let's just calm down and take a deep breath. And, you know, we all just take a, a collective deep breath and move forward together, Right. And I, I think that's imperative for brokers that want to want to keep their right. people. You know, you have to offer more than just, you know, the, the brokerage software and that you've got to offer some sort of training. You've got to offer some sort of mentorship um, to to people that maybe haven't seen this market before so that they can be successful through the market and thereby make your brokerage successful. So there are uh, agents. We've discussed what it takes to be a good agent. Then we have brokers and we have team leaders. Team leaders have, you know, a set of agents underneath them and they kind of work as a group. What's the distinction between broker and team leader in terms of certainly they've got different job titles, but they both want the agents underneath them to be successful. Other than that, is there a, a difference between brokers and team leaders? Uh, responsibility for sure. There's, uh, you know, the, the brokers are always, of course, responsible for the actions of all agents, including the, the team leader. Mm -hmm. They are very similar roles in some cases as you're trying to motivate your people, you're trying to get your, your people to be more successful. And as you share in their success as the team leader or the broker, your team or your brokerage is, is more successful. I think the big difference there is that the, the team leader still has a broker. Right. They can go there. They can say, hey, you know, how do I fire up my team more? How do I, you know, move to the next level? Right. You know, is there something you can suggest? Maybe, a, you know, a mentor, maybe, um, you know, a trainer that I can I can engage with to fire up my team. Right. Um, the, the team leader usually is the one that has you know, a little bit more time on their hands because they're not out doing those appointments. But that time is spent trying to grow the business and, you know, 
at whatever stage you are, right. a brand new agent or a team leader with 40 people underneath you, you have to continue to, to learn. You have to continue to engage with the new techniques. And, uh, and that way you can be more successful in the long term. So what are uh, three things team leaders should do to be highly effective, to grow their team, to be more profitable? Uh, in in my opinion, I would say you have to you have to lead from the front. You, you can't be in the ivory tower, you know, barking out orders to your team and hope that they that they do that. You've got to be out there. You've got to be in touch with the market. Um, second would be you know always be learning, right? ABL always be learning, right? You have mm-hmm. to um, keep up to date on where buyer and seller trends are and how to engage with those people. And then lastly, you, you got to motivate your people. You've got you to lead in a way that people want to be led. And sometimes that's a hard thing. You can be an amazing agent uh, and then start a team and you're a terrible manager or you're, you know, or you're a great manager, but you're a terrible agent, right? It's, uh, the, it's not synonymous that if you're a great agent, you're a great team leader. That doesn't work that way. You know, leading people is different. So, yeah. You know, sometimes I would I would say hire your hire your weaknesses, right? If you know that you are terrible at social media, don't try and you know muddle through for your team. Spend the money and hire somebody to do it right. You know, it's going to pay you back in spades, and you're and you're going to you know basically look a lot more professional in in the long term. And you'll keep your sanity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, read this thing a while ago. If you have the money to fix a problem, you don't have a problem. Exactly. And uh, which is kind of like, and a lot of people hold on to the money. It's like, no, no, I'm going to do it myself. And I was talking to somebody that uh, one of their, uh, uh, it was a peer advisory group. One of their folks had sold his business for, you know, $10 million. And he's at home figuring out what he wants to do next. And the air conditioning unit at the roof has an issue on his home. So rather than call somebody to go fix it, he goes up there to fix it, falls off the roof, breaks his back, took him like a year and a half to recover and get back into action. Whereas, you know, Throwing a thousand dollars at it would have been like a no money to him at all, but it was just the I want to do it myself. It wasn't to save money; it was just like I want to be useful. It's like no, don't put yourself at risk. So, for brokers, what are three pieces of advice you'd give brokers to be more effective? I think the uh, same as the team leaders, or different advice. Very similar to the team leaders, you have to motivate. You know, you've got to as a broker, you have to make sure that you're monitoring your people, right? And if you see something that they're doing, let's say. You know, they're, they're taking photography with their own phone, there's thumbs in every picture, that sort of stuff. You have to go in and, and guide these people back to, you know, uh, doing things in a professional way. Um, you know, as, as a broker, one of the things that, that you have to be, you have to put on your, your counselor hat as well. You know, you have to uh, have a, an opportunity for your people to come into your door and talk to you about what's going on in their in their life and career. Because if not, the only thing you're gonna see is that resignation letter when they go to a different brokerage, right? right. You, you have to be available to talk to them and say, what's going on? And sometimes you have to seek them out. They're not always gonna to come to you. You know, leave, leave the ivory tower if, if that's where you reside, right? Go through your brokerage and talk to your employees. You know, not just your realtors, but your front desk staff, your deal secretary, your marketing people. Is there something that we can be doing differently? right? Be open to that change. And if you're open in a true way, you'll be surprised what comes back to you. You know, people will make suggestions you never would have thought of because we are not perfect. We don't know everything as, as brokers, although everybody thinks we do. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, when it comes back around, you uh, you get an idea that you never would have thought of, and it might be the thing that pushes your brokerage to the next level. Nice. So let's go to the third tier, uh, the real estate boards. So, you know, 
there's lots of like uh, legacy stuff happening there. So Sean, if, if you could throw a hand grenade into the board and redesign it, what are three things they should be doing that they're not doing now? What would that be that you'd uh, that would help agents, help uh, the public? Is there anything you would change? Uh, you're talking about at the municipal level or at the provincial level? Let's say at the uh, the local city, they got a real estate board. What should they be doing? Because here's why I think that something needs to be done. And they're doing a really good job in considering what they have to deal with is that your best guess, if there were three groups of realtors, let's say all full-time realtors, there were the A players that they you know write books about. Then you got the B players that you know do a really good job. And then you got the C players that struggle. If we had a hundred uh, audience of a hundred realtors, what percentage would be A players? Would you say spitballing your best guess? Five percent less, more? Maybe ten percent. So let's say ten percent. How many B players? What percentage? If we, probably, I would say in that case, you're probably looking at about seventy percent are B players, and then you're looking at about. Okay, and then the remaining 20%, uh, the C players. So here's my hypothesis. My hypothesis is that if we could empower the B players in some way, that maybe a quarter of them, maybe a half of them could step into the A column. So what do you think is missing there that stops them from doing that? What does the board need to do to empower them or thoughts? Because that's always been like something for brokers and team leaders is that how do we get the people that know the business, that are doing a good job, could be doing great, but something kind of gets in the way. What gets in the way, do you think? Yeah, I don't know if that would be a board issue or not. Might not uh, because, be. Because, you know, the board is there to essentially uh, govern, you know, MLS and, and bylaws of the association. I think when it comes to there, you know, maybe not all boards need to exist, right? You could uh, amalgamate and, and share data, uh, which obviously more data uh, helps in, in the sales process. But I mm-hmm. think to, to motivate those people to go from a B to an A, they got to have the fire inside them to begin with. So whether that's the brokerage or or the board or the team leader, you got to ignite that fire. Mm-hmm. And you know it, it's not going to happen in everybody. You know you you can't stoke everybody up to that level. But let's assume we're we're shooting for fifty percent. You know you need to find out what motivates that person, and then press on that button to get them to respond. It's uh, it really is an internal thing. You know I think the difference between a, a good you know, a good agent and a great agent or a good player and a great player is that inside fire, that, yeah. you know, insatiable thirst when they get up in the morning, you know, I'm not going to bed today until this happens, right? You know, you, you've got to fire that up. And and that's an individual thing. I don't think that's anything a, a board or, or a team leader can do as a blanket approach. Yeah. I think you've got to get down with people and find out what do you need what drives you, you know, what's the end goal that drives you? Is it, you know, fantastic wealth and a, and a Ferrari, or is it, you know, being able to retire at 55 years old with, you know, three vacation houses, or is it just the, you know, racking one up on the board that you, it's just the, what motivates you and how do we get you from A to B? What's the goal? And I think goal setting is the biggest thing that anybody can do in that case to fire somebody up is, you know, talk to them about what that goal looks like. Right now, let's reverse reverse engineer that back to today. How many transactions do you need to do to get to that goal? You know, how are you going to do that? Where are you going to find those transactions? Then hold them accountable. I think accountability is is at an all time low when it comes to uh, a lot of the the brokerages and the teams. You know, it's just churn them out and see what happens. But I think you you got to have you got to have that daily, weekly accountability with people to keep them on track because people want to succeed. Nobody gets into the business and goes, well, I hope I'm a, a grandiose failure. 
You know, yeah. they, they come back and they say, I want to be successful, but they just may not know how to get on that track. And, and that's where the experience of the broker or the team leader needs to come in to show them the track, keep them on track and make sure they don't derail along the way. Oh, brilliant. And I think uh, if I had one piece of advice for uh, real estate boards is very much like they do some leadership training, but really applied leadership kind of training is like, you know, how do we get our leaders in the industry to have the toolkit they need to inspire people to go beyond because it is a noble profession and the better we can do, uh, it's better for everybody. So a few questions. So Sean, what makes you happy? Oh, well, that list is long. Honestly, you know, when it comes, uh, when it comes professionally, I, I love you know, seeing people get their keys for the first time. I oh, love seeing a first time nice. buyer step from not having a, you know, property to being a homeowner. You know, that, that is my pride and joy. I love that. Um, when it comes to my, my personal life, um, you know, obviously my family, you know, I love spending time with my family. I, I uh, you know, I'm one to build longer tables, not higher fences. Right. So my family keeps getting bigger every year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, recreationally, uh, there's nothing I, I like more than, uh, than playing rugby. I've, I've done that for 18 years. And it just brings a smile to my face uh, every time. And uh, then when you come home, a nice glass of wine. Ah, love it. You know, that's, uh, that's happening to me. Sitting at home with my family. You know, this time of year, maybe a fire on and uh, and a glass of wine. You'll find me smiling uh, all evening. What's one tip you would give uh, our audience? Uh, something that they could apply immediately to be more efficient, be healthier, sleep better. Like, what's that one thing you'd like to share? So a number of years ago, uh, my coach at the time uh, gave me a, a productivity tip that I still use to this day. It's very simple. It was actually employed by Henry Ford at the beginning. Um, and that is writing down five tasks down on a piece of paper every morning when you start work. Nice. And most important task is task one. It's usually the one you don't want to do. So you put that one first to get it out of the way. And you go through you know, your five tasks and you do not leave the office until your five tasks are complete. If for some reason one is impossible to complete, you know, say you needed to talk to somebody today and you just can't get a hold of them, that becomes task one tomorrow. Yeah, love it. And you write a new four tasks below that. If you do that, you will be amazed how many things you get done in a day. Just don't get distracted. Put a sign on your door and say, you know, if it's lead generation time, put a sign on your door and say, I'm lead generating. Do not, you know, come in unless there's a fire and get it done. Or unless you're buying a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I Oops, say, I came in. Ah, oh, you got to buy a house. Yeah. And then I would hold your, your money accountable. If you're spending money on advertising or promotion or whatever, there should be a return and you should be tracking that. Don't just throw spaghetti at a wall. You know, you want, you, you don't want to be a catapult. You want to be a sniper, right? You want to zero in on the, the productivity in, in your portfolio. And you can only do that if you're holding your advertising dollars accountable. Brilliant. You're like freaking Mark Twain, Sean. Uh, let me see what I wrote down. Hire your weaknesses, uh, bigger tables, not taller walls, and hold your money accountable. Sean, thanks so much for being on the program. Learned a lot. As you can see, I wrote down a lot. Thanks so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks again. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 